Well, I'm going to start a little bit differently than I had been planning to before Kelvin Todd uh, introduced the, the scripture passage to us. Um, his picture of Jesus on the cross. I want you to think of that man who was sitting or hanging next to Jesus on that cross. We know from the gospel record that he had been hurling insults at Jesus. And how had Jesus been responding? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. He took it. He took it. And Jesus' example of receiving insult, receiving scorn, receiving rebuke, and not returning with it, softened the heart of that man who was hanging next to him on the cross. And ultimately, you remember the, the gospel record saying, the, the other man continued to revile, continued to rebuke, and finally this guy who had been joining in him had had enough. And he said, don't you know that we're here because we're supposed to be here? We are receiving the just punishment for what he did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing amiss. What convinced him of that? I'm sure it was something about how Jesus responded to his grievous words. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I just want you to imagine Jesus hanging on the cross there in his own agony of not just physical pain, but spiritual pain, in his separation from God, becoming our sin bearer. And Jesus blessed the man. Just heard the door, I think, if someone wants to grab that. Jesus blessed the man. He said, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today. Now, I start there, not only because I was reminded of this by what Kelvin Todd said, but, but also because of the hymn we just sang. Make me a blessing to someone today. Do you know the most likely way you will be a blessing to another human being today and tomorrow and the next day are by the words you use? It has, I saw an in, uh, in, uh, estimate of this. It's estimated that the average human being speaks at least 7,000 words a day. 7,000. 7,000 opportunities every single day to bless someone as Jesus did when he turned to a suffering man on the cross who had previously been rebuking him and reviling him and said, Today you will be with me. The comfort that blessed a dying man in his agony. And if you were to go through Jesus' life and you were to see probably more than 7,000 words a day from this teacher, you would see that every single one was intended to bless. It might be blessing by conviction. It might be blessing by rebuke. But every single word targeted to bless. And I again begin there because tonight I have selected four verses from the book of Proverbs. And as I've been going through the book of Proverbs this month in our yearly Bible reading, I've been struck by the number of verses that address the tongue. 
I went and just did a quick search this afternoon to see how many times Proverbs addresses the tongue. I found 17 or perhaps 18, depending on how you count it, that address the, the tongue, directly the tongue. They use the word tongue. In, it, when addressing the mouth, like we see here in verse number, uh, number two, the mouth of fools, nearly 40 directions to the mouth. And when you take words or speech, you see at least a dozen references in the Proverbs to your words or to your speech. Add those up, nearly 20 addressing the tongue, nearly 40 addressing the mouth, and a dozen addressing the words or speech, you're at more than 70 references in the book of Proverbs to how you use your words. Do you think God cares about how you use your words? Do you think God cares about how you use your tongue day after day? Do you think he cares about whether your tongue is directed toward making a blessing, leaving a blessing, or leaving a curse? Do you think he cares about your words are devoted to building up people or to tearing them down? I'm saying this, of course, obviously, the answer is yes. Why is there so much focus in the book of Proverbs about your tongue? It is because of the power of the tongue. Our Sunday school children sing this wonderful song that if I sing it, I promise it will get stuck in your head. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's just quoting Proverbs. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And James 3 addresses this exact same idea. It speaks of the tongue as being like a rudder that turns an entire ship. Do you know it's suggesting that your, the course of your life will be directed by your tongue? How many jobs have been lost by an uncontrolled tongue? How many divorces have been brought about by a tongue? first and foremost, by the rudder that changes the course of the marriage. How many spirits of children have been wounded and their spiritual lives sent into shipwreck by the uncontrolled tongues of their parents? Do you want to direct your life into the rocks? Then don't control your tongue. Do you want to destroy your marriage? Then, then by all means, disregard your tongue. Do you want to start a fire kindling in this church that divides us and has us at each other's throats? Then don't worry about what you say. But if you don't want those things, if you want a healthy marriage, if you want a healthy family relationships, if you want to be a source of blessing in our church community and the world beyond, what Proverbs and what Scripture across the board is saying is, watch out! Because your tongue's like a rudder that directs the ship of your life. It is like, for a negative sense, one small spark that can set all the Canadian wild forests ablaze. Be careful. Tonight, I'm going to give a message that I'm going to title, The Power of the Tongue. The Power of the Tongue. And I want to use three of these verses here in Proverbs 15, 1 through 4, not only to address the power that is in the tongue, but then beyond that, to address the power that must be over the tongue. And finally, the power that God gives 
for the tongue. The power in the tongue, the power over the tongue, the power for the tongue. Those are our three points this evening. And if you'll notice with me, in Proverbs 15, verse 1 speaks of our tongue or of its words. Verse 2 speaks of the tongue. And verse 4 speaks of the tongue. And I just want to look quickly at each verse for three different ideas of what the tongue does. The power that is in the tongue. And then we'll come back to learn how we might apply that to our own lives. First of all, notice that the tongue has the power to diffuse. Will you notice this with me? Look at verse 1 here of Proverbs chapter 15. It says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Now this is a very well-known verse, but we'll just pause to speak a little bit at a higher perspective of what it's saying. Notice the contrast here. A soft answer. So someone has spoken to you, and they are angry. They are upset. Their words have been harsh. Their words have been pointed at you. And what the proverb is saying here is that a soft answer, literally the idea is of a gentle answer. The picture you might say is a pillow. Someone comes at you with a fist, and you hold up a pillow, and you take it. A soft answer, a gentle answer, turns away. And the idea is it's like turning back. Like if you were just to return this punch, this punch is given, and it's just accepted, and the wrath is just turned back. It's just deflected, or you might say diffused. But... Scripture says, grievous words stir up anger. The idea here of grievous, it's actually the word that would be translated elsewhere, sorrow or pain. It literally is saying in the Hebrew, words of pain. Do you know the first time this Hebrew word is used in our Bibles? It's used in Genesis 3 when it speaks of the sorrow and pain of a woman's childbirth. And for any of you women who have been in labor, the idea of words of pain, words of sorrow and distress, like those words, those kinds of words are only going to stir up more anger. And so the power of the tongue, Proverbs is saying, is you can have someone who is angry, who is upset, who is irritated, and your response to them, your soft and gentle response, will not stir up more anger, but will actually just turn it away altogether. will just entirely diffuse it and take away the anger altogether. Now, you people are biblically literate people, you would be able to come up with biblical examples. One would be Abigail coming after David has been coming in a rage to absolutely wipe the floor with Nabal, her foolish husband. David comes to him and says, we've been protecting you. He sends his men to Nabal, this wealthy man. We've been protecting you. Can we receive a blessing for our service to you? And here Nabal sends them away with this harsh answer and says, go back to your master. There there is all kinds of disloyal servants these days. Who do you think you are? And David says, all right, boy, strap on the swords. We're going to take out every single male there. 
And Abigail hears, and she goes to him. And if you read Abigail's response, you see the very biblical picture of a soft answer. A soft answer that immediately melts David's spirit, and his wrath is gone. And Nabal's life is spared, at least for the time being, until God deals with him. The power in the tongue is to defuse. Now, practically speaking, husbands and wives... Do you know this verse is at the center of conflict resolution in your marriage? It really is a contest, or it should be a contest, to see when there is strife that is coming up in your marriage, who's going to be the first one to throw the blanket of grace over the other person and says, say, I don't need to argue. I don't need to stir up this anger. A soft answer, a gentle answer, even in the face of provocation, even the answer in the face of anger. The power in the tongue is to defuse. But notice, secondly, the power in the tongue is to discern. Will you look with me at verse 2? The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Now, this is just an extremely picturesque verse. The tongue of the wise, Proverbs 15 says, uses knowledge aright. And that word aright it has the idea of rightly, but even more than that, it has the idea of something good or pleasant, pleasing, even something beautiful. One way to think about this verse would be to say, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge beautifully, uses knowledge in a pleasant kind of way. There is something pleasing about the words that are used of a wise man. And by, by contrast, he says, the mouth of fools just pours out foolishness. Do you know this word, the same Hebrew word is translated elsewhere in the Bible, belches out? It's like the person, the odious person, just belching, literally just belching out foulness. That is the kind of person who is a fool. And you've probably heard or experienced that kind of person just pouring out nonsense, pouring out foolishness. Now, now, notice the idea here. The wise person knows how to take what is in the reservoir of his heart, the knowledge that is within, and produce it in a good way, a pleasant way, a pleasing way. In fact, there's one rendering of this today that says that, that the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. As if, as if this person is making knowledge appear beautiful because of the way they are ordering and organizing their words. You see, the tongue of the wise, the power of the tongue is to make knowledge pleasant, to make knowledge pleasing. You had teachers like that in school. You had some teachers that got up and gave a lecture and you said, when is this going to be done? I'm looking at my watch. This is the most boring thing imaginable. And you had some teachers that when they teach, when they taught even difficult subjects, you were leaning forward into your chair and you were saying, okay, this is interesting. All right, I can grab onto this. I, I can come into this knowledge. Why? Because that's the power of the tongue. It's to take what is good. It's to take what is knowledgeable, what is wise, and it's to make it appear pleasing and pleasant and acceptable to the hearer. 
The power in the tongue is not just to defuse the anger of someone else, but it is to discern what is good and what is pleasing and to commend it to everyone's hearing among those who are around you. Listen to what Proverbs 16 says. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. I love that. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. No mouth, don't say that. Mouth... Do say that, but say it like this. Teaching your own mouth. It's discernment. But here's, look at verse 4 now. Not only does the, the tongue have the power to diffuse, to discern, but also to dispense. Verse 4 says, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness or crookedness therein is a breach in the spirit. Here's another gorgeous picture. A wholesome tongue. It literally means a healing tongue. Do you know what could be said of certain people that they have a healing tongue? They heal people. Do you know people like that? They're the kind of people you always want to be around when you're struggling, when you're dealing with something spiritually, when you're discouraged. Why? Because they just heal people. They know what to say. They know how to apply the word of God like medicine to your soul. They know how to take God's word and bring it down to the bottom shelf and say, here, just pluck it from the bottom shelf right here. They're healing words. The healing tongue. Just think about that. A healing tongue is a tree of life. A tree of life. Just if you think about this, yesterday, Tabitha and I went for a birthday party to to James and Brianna Dickey's house. And Tabitha came home with this ripe tomato, fresh tomato from their garden there. And we sliced it up that night and we put it on pizza and we made some pizza. And you, and you taste, I, I, I got to say, I don't love tomatoes. But those of you who know like the crispness of a really fresh tomato and the, it, it, the, the idea of any kind of fruit, the freshness of it. It's like someone picking off your words off a tree and trying them and saying, wow, that's delicious and it's nutritious. That's, that's a healing balm to my soul. That's the power in the tongue. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing to someone today. Do I have a healing tongue? Do I have that ability to, to dispense the kind of blessing to others in the way that I speak. Listen, by contrast to what he says in verse 4, but perverseness or crookedness in your tongue is a breach in the spirit. The word breach here literally means to crush. To crush. Two very different kinds of tongues. One that dispenses healing balm. One that crushes the spirit. And we've all been on the receiving end of both of those. Listen to what Proverbs 12 says. There is that speaks like the piercings of a sword. Have you ever been around someone who, when they speak, it feels like they're just thrashing around with a sword, not caring who they cut in the process? And by contrast, Proverbs 12 says, but the tongue of the wise is health. There's a doctor literally dispensing medicine with their wise words. 
That's the power in the tongue. The power to diffuse anger and heal relationships. The power to discern what is right and what is pleasant and what is good and to hold it up, commending it to everyone. And the power to dispense what is healing, not to dispense what is crushing and what is piercing. That's the power in the tongue. Now, I hope that you'll just hold that mirror up to your own life tonight. And you'll ask yourself, how often are my words healing? Think about your spouse, if you're married here tonight. Think about how many of your thousands of words a day might come between your spouse or with your children or others. And how many of them are healing words? How many of them are discerning words, not just pouring out, pouring, 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 pouring? How many of them are diffusing words? Soft answers, dealing with irritation and difficulty with the blanket of grace. We should hold our words up to this kind of standard and see the power that our words have to our spouse, to our family, to our church members, and to those all around us. So first of all, see the power in the tongue. But secondly, we need to dig a little bit deeper, if you will, below the surface of these verses to ask the po- what's the power over the tongue. This is really what James chapter 3 is getting at. Listen to what James 3 says. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. You can tame Shamu. You can tame the elephant at the circus or the lions. But you can't tame the tongue. At least he says no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Here's the point that I want to make here. The power over the tongue is that every single one of these things deal with control. Control over your tongue. In other words, if you are to recognize the power in the tongue and use that power for blessing and not cursing, you must exercise control over your tongue. Look at verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. He's saying here, you must control your reactions. What makes it so hard to give a soft answer? It's because your immediate reaction to being provoked is, guess what? Provocation back. Because your pride and your passion work together to defend yourself. Well, that's not fair what you're saying. I'm not really like that. And back you go. And then your next step is to say, well, if you're hurting me, then I'm going to bring it right back at you. In fact, do you want to know what you're like? You want, me to, you want me to critique you like I'm being critiqued now? Your pride and your passion join together to react in a carnal or a fleshly way. Do you know there's a very good example here if you were just to look up to the ceiling. Do you see those white square tiles that adorn the ceiling here? Do you know what those are? Those are sound proofing tile. In fact, if you were to take those down, you would probably see the wall 
like the white plaster wall around here. Do you know what would happen if you took those down? This uh, sanctuary would become much more acoustic. It would become much more, there would be, be much more reverberation in this room. You, because what those soundproofing tiles do is they catch sound. When the sound waves go up, those tiles accept them as opposed to bouncing them back. The carpet does the same thing. The pews all around you do the same thing. It accepts the sound as opposed to reverberating the sound. There's a, uh, an old story about the Duke Chapel where I went to school, and the, the chapel has about six or seven seconds of reverberation. Literally, if you were to yell in there, it would bounce around in this massive Gothic auditorium for six or seven seconds. And they were hiring this organ builder, this, this very noted organ builder from, from Holland to come in and to make the organ. And he went in and he made a little organ and he played to test the reverberation. And he said, it's not good enough, I'm not gonna do it. And they had to go and they had to coat with reverberating. They had to seal uh, the entire surface of the indoor of the chapel. He came back in, he played it again, he said, nope, not good enough. They had to do another coat on. The story goes, and finally he said, there's enough. The, the acoustics are acceptable for me. Why? Because he wanted this live space where the sound was going to be bouncing off. Now, now think about that. When someone speaks angry words at you, the control that you are going to have under the influence of the Holy Spirit is that they're going to bounce on you and they're going to be received. And they're not going to be bounced back. They're not going to be reverberated back. The words hit you and they aren't, they aren't magnified going back. They're just accepted. And in its place is a soft answer. You see, what is necessary in that is control. Listen to what James 1 says in verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, doesn't put a bridle over his tongue to control it, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. It's worthless. It's a worthless religion that cannot control one's tongue. Think about that. It's about control. Now notice verse 2. The control in verse 2 depicted is a control over your reservation. Now here's what I mean by that. Control over your reservation. Here's what Proverbs 12 says. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. And notice a similar idea here in verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright or rightly. They know what to say and maybe more importantly when to say it. There's an old story about John Wesley, and I'm nearly certain it's apocryphal. I can't imagine it's true, but it's too good for me not to share it with you. It's said that a woman came to John Wesley, and she said, I think the talent God has given me is speaking my mind. And John Wesley uh, is, is said to have responded, I think God would be fine with you bearing that talent. Referring to the parable of the talents. I think God would be fine with you bearing that talent. Do you know, but in, in all seriousness, do you know how often we speak carnally and fleshly when I'm just speaking my mind? I'm just telling the truth. Well, really? Do you know what Proverbs says? The heart, or I'm sorry, the mouth, a prudent man concealeth knowledge. I don't need to say everything that's on my mind at all times. And in fact, very often, I shouldn't say what's on my mind. 
There should be a discernment in the moment about whether I'm belching out words, vomiting out words, pouring out words without restraint, without control, or whether, as, as the proverb says, that the, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. There's a reserve. There's not a willingness always to shout it out. You probably have heard the old saying, better to be quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt? Yes, very much so. There is inappropriateness in control over how much you speak. In, in, in fact, if any of you have been a parent, you know exactly what this is. Your young children, have you noticed that your young children in their immaturity literally have almost no control over what they say? I've got one right now who is dealing with with having to use the bathroom at the most inopportune times, and suddenly from our car, they'll just hear this wail, I have to go potty! And it's like, okay, okay, be patient. We're almost home. And they just, I have to go potty! It's just, it's like, it's like there's this inability to control what comes out of your mouth. And it, it's a sign of immaturity. We all know that. But then think about the person, spiritually, who is like that immature child. They just open their mouth and just pour out whatever is, is bouncing around in their heart at the moment. No. The wise person, their heart is teaching their mouth. They are holding in reserve so that what they speak is right and pleasant and proper. So it's control over your reactions, control over what you reserve from speaking. But then also notice verse 4, it's control over your resources. A wholesome or a healing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness or crookedness in your tongue is, a, is crushing to the spirit. I just want to read what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 6. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. What kind of control is going to be required for you to exercise appropriately the power in your tongue? The moral dimension. The control over whether you are filling your heart with what is good and what comes from the word of God or whether what is wicked or evil and what does not. The power in the tongue requires us to, to be very careful about the power over the tongue. And this ultimately is where I think at the lowest level that I want to get to here this evening is the power for the tongue. Because what Jesus is getting at here is that the way you speak is going to be directed not by simply holding on um, uh, to every word that comes out, it's going to be what is naturally in your heart, the character that you are developing. And, and even Proverbs is getting that when it says, the tongue of the wise. That is, there's someone whose character is wisdom, and therefore what comes out of them is wisdom, is going to be knowledge that is used pleasantly and properly and appropriately. And that's why this evening I want to close this message on the tongue by asking us to assess what is wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, Proverbs answers that question. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. But maybe you've heard another definition, and I want to use this one tonight. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective, not your perspective. Now you say, well, well, how would that influence what I say? Well, let me give you an example. If you are seeing things from your perspective, when your spouse comes at you with angry, irritated, frustrated, accusatory words, how are you going to see your wife or your husband? You're going to see that person as a combatant. Come on, let's get him up. I guess we're going to fight, huh? Okay, you just gave me a left jab. Watch out for my right hook. Verbally, of course, I mean. Right? You are going to see that person as someone who you need to defend against, push back against. She's getting a little lippy now. I've got to make sure I crack down. No, that's your perspective. You see, what is God's perspective? What is God's perspective on someone coming at you in wrath? God's perspective is that they're in sin. Do you know someone coming at you with an irritated spirit, with an angry spirit? They're sinning. In other words, think about it this way. If you're viewing it from God's perspective, when your spouse comes at you in an angry manner, they're on fire. They're on fire. And it's sin that has them on fire. Do you know when you see them from God's perspective, the first thing you're not going to do is, hey, where's the gasoline? i got to pour a little more on her. i got to get a little more on him. But that's what your, that's what your grievous word is going to do. It's going to only stir up a greater fire in their sin. Imagine someone coming at you literally on fire, and you're saying, all right, let's see how I can stir this blaze even a little more. You would never do that. What would you do? You'd say, we've got to get the fire out. Let's, let's put a blanket. Let's put a blanket over this person and help the fire to go out. And then we can talk, and then we can deal with it. And spouse, if, if you would see things from God's perspective and you would see that when someone is coming at you with angry words, they're in desperate need right now, and you were to say, oh God, let me not make it worse. Let me give a soft answer to turn away this wrath, to give them the blanket of grace, and then we can deal with it later. You would be in such wisdom and you would be seeing things from God's perspective. And you could apply the same thing elsewhere. You can apply the same thing in how you use your words. Are you seeking to impress by your pouring out your words? Are you seeking to intimidate by pouring out your words? In whatever way you are dealing with, seeing things from God's perspective is the way in which you are able to say, how can I be a blessing in this situation? How can I bring healing to this situation? How can I be a tree of life giving nutritious and delicious fruit wherever God has placed me in the moment? That's how you are going to have power from God for your tongue. Listen to what James chapter 3 says. But the wisdom that is from above, seeing things God's way, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, a tree of life, 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now listen to this. And the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of that, of that beautiful tree that Proverbs 15.4 is talking about, is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let's hold ourselves up to the mirror of Proverbs 15, 1 through 4 tonight. Let's look in our homes, in our closest family relationships. How often are my words diffusing? How often are my words discerning? How often are my words dispensing healing, not crushing? And to the extent that all of us are convicted by that, as I think all of us could stand to be, What's got to change? What's got to change is the control that I exercise over my tongue. And the only way that I'm going to exercise that control over my tongue is if by the Spirit of God, I am beginning to see things from God's perspective and, and be walking in the Spirit so that I can respond with the wisdom that is from above, not with the fleshly wisdom that is from beneath. We opened with the example of Jesus, and I want to close with his example to take with us as we leave here this evening. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 again. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, abused, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. No crushing words came from the mouth of our Savior. But listen to this. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Is Jesus had wisdom. When he was falsely accused, he said, God, you know. You judge righteously. I don't need to be defending myself in crushing or harmful ways. And you know, spouses, we need the same kind of thing. We don't always need to defend ourselves. We don't always need to stand up for our rights. We don't always need to make sure we respond with force to the harsh or angry words coming toward us. And you can apply this in every single relationship of life. When I come with the wisdom of realizing that he will judge righteously everything. That wisdom allows me to make peace and to respond with the fruit of righteousness. Friends, let's hold the mirror up to our tongues tonight. Let's see the power in the tongue, the power over the tongue, and the power in the Holy Spirit that God has given you for your tongue.